Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to August 1st, Bruce. Uh-huh. Looking forward to August 1st. And uh, the first, what what should be that day, I think, The we'll see who plays first. It might be the Eastern teams that play first. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work, but we might see the Edmonton Oilers against the Chicago Blackhawks on August 1st, 2020. Did they do away with the exhibition games they talked about doing before? They were going to have two exhibition games for team. And I thought I heard a whisper in the wind last week that those were no more. And I haven't heard any more. I don't know. I haven't heard a whiff, whiff about that. We've heard, uh, you know, so the, the news today is that the NHL and NHLPA have come out with a f- kind of a formal agreement, which they've announced. It still has to be ratified by the Players Association and by the owners, Board of Governors. I think that is a sh- as sure a thing as you're going to find at this point that it's going to be ratified by both groups. It's on both a four-year CBA extension and um, a return to play protocol, which we'll see the games. I think Edmonton's mentioned Edmonton Toronto by name now officially, although I didn't see that in the press releases. Um, and what what we're going to see now is, um, let me just find the, the news story. They are, um, I have to call up Twitter. I think the they go to the hub cities. They go to the training camps on the 13th, Bruce. Mm-hmm. They go to the hub cities on the 26th. Wow. And the playoffs begin on the August 1st. So what so do you they, think? Uh, well, it seems like a sh- fairly short time between arriving in the Hub City and being ready to go. I guess they, uh, um, they will have sort of been in a bubble all along. Are they all coming in on charters? I believe so. Yeah, I got those dates right. 13th, mm-hmm. 26th, and the 1st. So, yeah, not long in the Hub City. So it doesn't sound to me, Bruce, like there's going to be, although maybe in those first few days, maybe in that week. I mean, they're in training camp for two weeks before then, right? That's the that's the danger time to me is that phase three in the training camps. Exactly. Until they get out of the United States, which is, you know, having a huge outbreak of infections. It's always hard to tell, of course, whether, the, whether like I heard one expert today saying they have way more cases in the, in the United States. They're just finding a, a fraction of them with their increased testing. So right. it's always hard to know, like, when did they have the most cases? Did that happen actually in April? Or mm-hmm. is it happening now? It's just it's just a mess, like, like, honestly. So I don't even bother guessing. But there's a lot of, I think it's safe to say there's a sh- crap load of uh, cases, to put it politely, mm-hmm. in the United States right now. Not so much in Edmonton and Toronto right now. That's those are the safe things we can say, but we can look forward to eight planes full of uh, of um, fifty passengers from various places around the United States, plus three more from various places around Canada, plus the various ways our players from uh, Edmonton's own team get back and where they come from and everything, and that's going to make some people nervous. I don't think there's any two ways about it. That's Right when we first shut down, David, you and I talked about having games in empty buildings. And I said, that's going to be the issue is the travel and the incoming players. And they've obviously they've worked things through, but it's still going to make some people nervous. I think they'll be nervous. Do I think there's a do I personally think there's a realistic chance of like what the what's the percentage chance of spread from an incoming player? It's just extremely 
extremely low. It's like a ne- negligible health risk, given given the amount of attention around this, given the amount of security around it, given the fact they're coming in, they're they're traveling from somewhat tight bubbles into an extremely tight bubble. And having you know gone through the rules, skimmed the rules for the the bubble at Edmonton, the the Phase Four bubble, man, it's this is a very very tight, secure thing. There, you know, there's constant testing, masks on their faces. If someone does have it, they'll be isolated in their room. I, I like, I understand people are nervous, but they're nervous about a lot of things. And is it reasonable or not? I I'm not. I I I would say. If I was, if a friend of mine was saying, I have this concern, I would say, that's probably the least of your worries. You know, I'm worried about going to the hardware store and having a guy coughing uh, as I'm standing there walking by, coughing, hacking as he's walking by, which happened to me on the weekend. That's what I'm worried about. Right. So I think, and I yeah. think that's realistically a much bigger fear. So, so now I noticed that every player is going to have his own room. Uh, I don't know if that extends to all the staff and so on, but let's say it does, and each team is allowed up to 52, 52 uh, uh, spots in the bubble. Yeah. Let's call it 50 per team, 12 teams, 600 spots. Where are all those people going to stay? Where are they going to get 600 rooms? Well, there's a number of hotels, I think, downtown in Edmonton that are going to be enlisted in this, not just the mm-hmm. not just the Marriott. Right. But I, my understanding is there's about... It, it, a, a, and again, I don't know all the details, but I, I, I've heard like Sutton Place, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe and maybe uh, a few others, maybe the Hotel McDonald for all I know. And I'm just throwing that out there. No idea. But there are a number of nice hotels um, where people may agree if they're working there. And I don't know. I guess maybe there's a line in the protocol. So we haven't I haven't gone through all 40 pages of the fine right. details yet. There may uh-huh. be a line that says whether they're in or outside of the bubble, uh-huh. uh, the staff. And all the like, there's all the restaurant staff too, right? They're getting their food from rest downtown restaurants, and I know there's not a huge economic impact from this, but I'm really glad for those hotels. They're they are hurting. I'm glad for those restaurants. They are hurting. Like it's going to be yeah. a just a mini little mini boom That's downtown true. for <laughs> for some businesses that could really use some business. So you know, it could be the difference between. Some of these places, not the hotels, but the restaurants, definitely from going out of business or staying in business. So, yeah, um, they're, they're running on a pretty uh, razor thin margin, if there's a margin at all these days. It's just a yeah. matter of finding a way to stop the bleeding, and maybe things like this will, uh, well, this thing will, will help in that respect. It's, uh, you, you know, Bruce, and and this could also set a standard. Like, let's say this is a success. Mm -hmm. And there's other events that need to be held, you know, Mm -hmm. other, this could, if, if we can keep our numbers low here and COVID doesn't go away, let's say through, through the fall of 2020 and spring, you know, we can set ourselves up as a place, um, where you can, where people can do some business and get things done in a, in a, in an event kind of, um, setting. So I don't know if, I don't know if that's a possibility or not, but we'll see. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. They got to pull this off first and it's going to be a major challenge. It's a huge, huge challenge. And this is, uh, I mean, from an Edmonton perspective, I mean, we're always thinking about from an Oilers perspective, how many series will they go? From an Edmonton perspective, I mean, you're talking about from August 1st to what, October the 15th or something? It's basically half a month per playoff round or better part of it certainly they'll be going well into October to award the Stanley Cup apparently in Edmonton for the fifth time 
and it will be uh, uh, so from the city perspective, you know, that's a that's quite a big bubble for quite a long time. And yes. it's I mean, the bubble will be shrinking in, in a sense. But uh, uh, I was a little surprised, frankly, that they they apparently are announcing Edmonton for the semifinals and finals. For two reasons. I, I was just surprised Edmonton got the nod. But secondly, I was a little surprised they weren't sort of keeping their options open and saying, well, semifinals and finals, you know, if possible, we'll hold them in the cities where the teams are because maybe by October, late September, things will have cleared up enough that we can start doing that. But uh, it sounds like it's uh, just two bubbles, one bigger than the other, and uh, and uh, the bigger ones in Edmonton, go figure. I think actually, our, our, you know, we're one of the smallest markets in the NHL. And I think that actually, in, in terms of being able to pull this off, I think it might give us give Edmonton an edge. Because, again, mm-hmm. in Toronto, there's a lot more. I see a lot more people holding their nose in Toronto and not, not being enthusiastic about this. Um, there's that people in Edmonton have, have that feeling as well, but it's a little less. And I think anyone actually involved in this, um, any individuals working on this as support staff or the rest, they're going to be excited because we're, this is a big deal in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. A bigger deal in Edmonton than it's going to be in most other, maybe any other NHL market except for maybe Winnipeg or probably Winnipeg. And it would be a huge deal there. This is a big deal here. So I think in terms of like having people hepped up about doing a good job and uh, going the extra mile, which is a huge thing in terms of pulling off any event, you need people committed and you need them to, to go for it. I think that will work uh, for Edmonton here. Um, so I, I wish the I wish everyone involved in this. Yeah. I wish you guys. I hope wish you well. I hope you are successful at this event. And I and I expect. Listen, I expect you will be. I I've got full confidence in in Edmontonians about pulling off an event like this. So. Oh. And yeah, and I mean, it's the Edmontonians are part of the equation, but the incomers, you know, and the tourists are a big part of that equation too. And the, you know, the overarching. Uh, governance of the NHL, but all of those member teams, of which they're going to have 12 in, in this town, so it's uh, it's going to be a challenge for those guys and their you know the lifestyles they're used to 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 be uh, pulling in their horns to the degree that you're supposed to, you know, always wearing that mask, you know, without exception and so on. And uh, we'll see uh, we'll see how how able they are to. Uh, to stick to these protocols. Yeah. So 20-year-old males, high testosterone levels, Bruce, you have some questions about that? So do I, actually. I don't have any questions. I don't have any questions about it either. (laughs) My my questions are, how do they suppress all that? That's the problem. You have no questions about it. And and neither do I. Bruce, how many players... So this is a really good thing that they brought in. It's kind of no questions asked. If, if you don't want to participate and you're a player, you don't want to participate in this for what, and you don't have to see, even say the reason, um, you don't have to participate. How many players do you think on the 24 playoff teams will opt out? And how many players on the Edmonton Oilers will opt out? If you want, I can go first, but go ahead. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, one, one, Wonders if there might if that might be some big giant loophole where you have a mass defection, you know, uh, and if it were to hit even one team in any kind of significant way with you know several players, uh, but I'm conservatively going to say one player per team, and I'll pick one for the Edmonton Oilers as well. Uh, I'll I'll be shocked if any Edmonton Oilers sit out. 
mm-hmm. um, at least players on their team currently, like like mm-hmm. the uh, players, like maybe there'll be an like an AHL player who's thinking, mm-hmm. oh geez, but even that, refuse the invitation as yeah. opposed to oh, how could up? you do that? Okay, I'm gonna say zero zero mm-hmm. for the Oilers. Any team with a realistic chance of winning the Stanley Cup, Bruce, I'm gonna go zero, mm-hmm. except for. Of those teams, let's say there's 10 teams that have a really good shot at the Cup, there might be one person who really does have a major health implication um, Mm -hmm. that that will outweigh anything else. But I think with the teams that are like the Oilers that have a real shot at it, I don't see any of them sitting out. And I'm going to say in total there will be three. Okay. uh, Three out of the 24 teams. Oh, you're, yeah, okay. You're being hungry players. So not um, a mass defection at all, but almost a, almost a perfect attendance, eh? I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. if it's perfect attendance, but I do think there'll be two or three. Well, I guess, you know, Drew Doughty, he might have sat out uh, if L.A. was a cup contender, but somehow I doubt <laughs> it. But uh, since his team is Kevin not good Piazza enough to even, make it, to even make a giant 12-team playoff, since his team isn't good enough to make that, I guess we won't know. Same with Ryan Kessler. You know, he might have just simply said, Edmonton, I ain't going there no matter what, yeah, and no, sat out. But because his team isn't good enough to make even expanded 12-team uh, Western Conference playoffs, I guess we won't find out for sure about him either. There, Oops. I've got my barbs, and those guys have tormented Oilers fans for years. And not just with their antics on the ice, but some of the sort of loose lip crap that they pull off. So, yeah. <laughs> Let us not worry about snot those millionaires right now, Bruce. Oh, no, I'm um, worried about getting my barbs in. You know, some of us have <laughs> been waiting a long time. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's. We're going to talk about a couple other things here. I think we've, mm. we've handled that. Um, we're going to talk about... Uh-oh. There we go. Something happened to my screen there. Everything mm. good? All right. Yeah. Hit the wrong button for a second. Okay, we're going to talk about some of the Oilers' prospects that we've been writing about late, lately. Cooper Marodi, Kirill Maximov, and uh, Olivier Rodrigue. Did mm-hmm. we talk about Lenstrom? We did a little bit last time, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Uh, uh, so those three guys um, are coming on up. And Skinner, I guess. I think, I'm not sure we talked about Skinner, but I'll mention him briefly while we're talking about Rodrigue. Okay. And then we're going to talk about the fact that it looks like there's also a deal in place to play in the 2022 Olympics and the 2026 Olympics. And Bruce, I I think there's really interesting, and there's a couple interesting Oilers stories here about Edmonton Oilers who may make Team Canada. And in that category, I would put two players, and I'm going to write about one of them right away, is Darnell Nurse, and the other one's Nugent Hopkins. You know, McDavid's on the team. But I think both R&H and uh, Nurse have really good chances to make the team. And so um, why don't we just start there uh, with Darnell Nurse. He, he uh, I, I've done a poll, I actually put the wrong date on which Olympics it was. I put the 2020 Olympics, but I think everyone got it on the question uh, that I meant the 2022 Olympics. Right. And I asked, will he make it or not? And only mm-hmm. about one in five people said yes, mm-hmm. that he will make it. So, um, and you know what, if it just off the top of your head, um, I think that's a that's not crazy talk. Like, I mean, that doesn't it makes intuitive sense that he wouldn't make it because he's not generally seen. I think as a Norris Trophy candidate or one of the top uh, defensemen in the NHL. 
But here's what I'm going to say, Bruce. When you if if they decide to go, and they have done this in recent years with the right left combination, yeah. and depending on the coach, that could be a huge fixation. Let's say it's Dave Tippett. Mm-hmm. Um, but even it, the the only time in recent years where they didn't go was was the 2000 and uh, you got to go back, I think, to the 2004 World Cup, and maybe to to, to Turin where they went with five lefties at the 2004. World Cup, mm-hmm. and um, I have the numbers here. Let me just find it. So, with the um, with the right, here's the here's some of the here's the candidates for right shot defense. Okay, sure. Chris Letang, Shea Weber, Brent Burns, who's probably going to be too old, Dougie Hamilton, Colton Pareko, um, Alex Peter Angelo, Ryan Ellis. Aaron Ekblad, Kale McCarr, Ooh. Bruce, the the challengers on right D, we are going to be stacked on right mm-hmm. D. They're going to have a hard time cutting down. Right. I would say of, of that group, I like uh, Peter Angelo, definitely. McCarr, I think, definitely. And Hamilton and Pareko are strong contenders as well. And maybe they'll go with an old... Oh, there's also... Drew Doughty. There's also Drew Doughty, who, who uh, you know, he's born in '89, so he in uh, 2000 he, he'll be um, 33. 32. 32. I think he was 20 when he, when he won the yeah. Olympic gold in 20, 2010. He'll only be 32, and if he can get mm-hmm. his shit together again as a hockey player, and to all due respect to Drew Doughty, he's a fantastic hockey player. I I don't want to. No. I'm a little. We're all a little bit ticked at him for he, various reasons, but he is a fantastic hockey player, easy, but he has been under, down in recent years. Easy to understand how a guy like him, uh, and there's a few guys on all three of the California teams, to be frank, who've been up for a lot of years and their team was going in the tank and the motivation had to be going spiraling down the, down the, the, uh, uh, the drain, you know, for these guys are used to, you know, contending for, uh, uh, teams to be frank who've been up for a lot of years and their team was going in the tank and had to be going spiraling down the down the the uh uh the drain you know for these guys are used to you know contending for uh uh you know for the cup and all of a sudden they're on teams that you know can't get out of their own way and that's highly demotivating, especially for some of the ultra-competitive players. You know, they need to be competing, seriously yeah. competing to be at their best. And so both the guys I dissed earlier, uh, Doughty and Kessler, fall under those. Uh, so there's some way of understanding. Uh, Kessler's actually injured and basically done. But Doughty, he just had a, a horrible, horrible, no-good season. And... It's uh, it doesn't tell me that he's done. It just told me that he was done with this year. <laughs> Listen, if a thirty-two-year-old Drew Doughty on your Olympic team in twenty—that's that, awfully tempting. Like honestly, like with all his experience and what you know, unless he's injured and really has lost a step, which happens to players, mm-hmm. you know. So he's on the right side. But here's the left side, Bruce. Yeah. Here are the top contenders for the left side. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's Jake Muzzin, um, who's the same age as Doughty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I, from my understanding, his plays dropped off a little bit in Toronto. There's um, Thomas Shabbat, kind of a young offensive defenseman in, in Ottawa. 
Morgan Riley, a strong young offensive defenseman in Toronto. Um, Shea Theodore and Darnell Nurse. Those are the five guys on the left side, as far as I can tell. There's Mark Giordano, but he's going right. to be he's going to be 36 or 37. He, I don't see it. There's Josh Morrissey, who's also in the running. There's Samuel Gerrard, uh, Duncan Keith, who's going to be kind of old by then. Mm-hmm. T.J. Brody, kind of a couple of Travis Sanheim. Um, did yeah. I say Josh Morrissey? Josh Morrissey yes, will did. be. Yeah, Mor- Morrissey's a, he's a very good comparable for Nurse and has been used as one. Uh, and they could be battling, you know, in the hunt, but definitely for under consideration. So with those left shot D, and if they decide to go with, let's say, three left shot D, I could see Nurse uh, breaking into that group. I mean, I, I think personally Theodore Riley and Nurse uh, mm-hmm. might be strong picks. If you don't need Thomas Shabbat, uh, on your power play, if you have Kale McCarr and Peter Angelo, let's say, on your top unit, or one one running the top unit, one running the second unit, um, suddenly you don't really need, you know, you want offensive guys also. But so, Bruce, when you rank the, all of these players, all the top Canadian players on mm-hmm. time on ice per game, points at e- uh, even strength, time on ice even. per game, points. Mm-hmm even strength per game, shots, even strength per game, hits, even strength per game, those four categories. Yeah. Um, Darnell Nurse finishes second Yeah. Right, when you rank them all. Now, that's giving a lot of weight to hits where uh-huh. he's first. But, right. like, when it comes to uh, points per 60 at even strength, mm-hmm. he's, uh, he's 14th. So he's not exactly, you know, he's not in the very top. He's not in the top 10, but he's just below it. 14th among left shot defensemen? All defense. All Canadian defense. Oh, all Canadian defense. All Canadian okay. defensemen in the NHL is 14th for, okay. for points per 60. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And this is over. Ice per game, he's third. Which, uh, what's. Uh, last year. This, this is just this past season only? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can tell you this from the last three seasons uh, combined from 2017 to 20. Uh, Left shot Canadian defenseman for points, just not per 60, but just just total even strength points. Morgan Riley had 98. Mark Giordano, 92. Next uh, lefty on the list, Darnell Nurse, 85 points. Third among Canadian defensemen. Thomas Shabbat had 83. And uh, on down the list it goes from there. So uh, uh, it's... uh, uh, It's going to be, uh, um, I think, you know, he's definitely in the conversation. And the thing is, I mean, I'm looking at even strength points. If you're looking for overall points on a defense one, I think he's 38th in the league over those three years and 16th in even strength points because he doesn't play much power play. And most of the D-men that rack up the points get half their points on the PP. And in Darnell's case, that's just not so. You know, he's got 85 points at evens and uh, 100 overall. Um so, but here's the thing. Team Canada doesn't need six D-men that can all run the power play, right? They need D-men, a couple guys who can specialize in that, and you know that they'll have high-skilled defensemen on the team. They need guys who can kill penalties, and they need guys who can munch uh, even strength minutes. And Darren Nurse does the last two of those things. And so you would think he'd be under consideration. I'm not sure he's a favorite, but uh, I, I can't imagine that... Uh, he wouldn't be on the short on the whiteboard, so to speak, at that you know, 
forecasting the team from this far out. And I mean, two years from now, he's going to be better. Or some of these guys like Giordano and, and uh, Keith and so on are going to be, you know, two two years or a year and a half older. Than, I, I uh, think they're not realistically in the running. I think Doughty and Latang are still mm-hmm. in the running uh, based on their play uh, right. and their age. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really think Muzzin's in the running. Um, he, 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 you know, he he made it one year to the World Cup team, but um, but Theodore obviously is a he's the top D man in Vegas. He's a really good hockey player. Morgan Riley. H- there's H- there's no there's no total locks, Bruce, on the left side. Oh. And no, now they not. could now they might go with like five righties and two two left shot guys. Maybe, Maybe they will. Maybe they'll think, hey, we can move uh, Colton Pareko, or uh, you know. Do we, you know, do we really want to leave Colton Preko off the team? Do we, do we really yeah. want to leave Aaron Eckblad? Maybe like he's an up and coming defenseman. Do we want to leave Ryan Ellis? You know, like he, mm-hmm. he's a, he's a very clever player. He could maybe move over. So we'll see. Maybe some of these right shot guys already play the left side, and I don't even know that. I don't think so though. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think Kale McCarr, you know, if he doesn't get injured, he's the closest thing I can see to a lock. Like you, I, I, you want Kale McCarr running your power play? I do believe uh, in the Olympic Probably. game. Certainly. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, at this distance, he looks like Drew Doughty in 2010. I'll say about Kale McCarr, but that's that's a ways off, and he needs to keep growing. And you know, he looks like a guy that's going to dominate for for a few years. But Peter Angelo's a pretty much of a lock, you'd have to think. I mean, because you know what I noticed, and I'm going to write about this person. They they te- they do put a lot of weight in experienced defensemen uh, mm-hmm. on that team. There's a huge, of course, most of them, the vast majority are guys between the ages of 24 and 31. Mm-hmm. But usually, there's a one or two guys who are 33, 34, 35 on these teams. Now, maybe that's because Rob Muter. Uh, Scott Niedermeyer and Rob Blake uh, were such fantastic hockey players. And maybe there's one in that category now. But I do think Doughty, I, I would be surprised, actually, the more if I'm completely honest, if Dude Doughty's not on this team because of his, just his experience. Well, he's on, he's the, on the white, like he's on the whiteboard World himself. Cups, unless he falls off the cliff. He's on the whiteboard himself. Yeah. And he's got two Olympic gold medals and one World Cup gold medal as, uh, as I recollect things. He's 2010 and 2014, two gold medals. So yeah, and, two gold and medals and then the World Cup of Hockey. That's right. That That's all we've had in terms of big tournaments. Mm-hmm. I mean, Canada's wow. record, Bruce, in these tournaments this century is, except for Turin, it's unblemished. We've, two, we've two won World it every Cups time. And three out of four Olympics and that even in... Uh, Oh, his last Olympics, the Canadian team did pretty good, and that was with back with amateurs again. But uh, I mean, the, the, the best on best tournaments, Canada's uh, Canada's record is very good indeed, and especially in the 21st century. It's all that Oiler content in Hockey Canada, David. You know this. Gretz, I was Gretz, watching the 2000. Know a thing or two about winning. I was watching the 2004 World Cup of Hockey final game the other day, and they showed. Uh, the press they zoomed into the press box and it was Kevin Lowe with Wayne Gretzky and the future Oilers GM Steve Tambellini. Then they zoomed in behind the bench and there was uh, uh, future Oilers coach uh, uh, Pat Quinn with future Oilers coach Ken Hitchcock. 
both already white-haired coaches, and they were both like five and 15 years respectively away from coaching for the Oilers, and they're already white as snow, you know, silver foxes behind the bench. But it's funny how all that overlapped a little bit anyways. And uh, Ryan Smith and Eric Brewer on the ice as well, right? So it was a, it was a nice... Yeah. Uh, um, that was a nice collection. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, depending on how the Oilers do um, in this year's playoffs mm-hmm. and next year's playoffs, obviously, Ken Holland could be deeply involved in um, assembling Team Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, he could be one of the Tippett could be the coach. I mean, it's just really at this point, it's it's going to be flavor of the month, and whoever mm-hmm. wins the cup this year especially I think this year will have a real advantage going into being the Olympic team coach. Cause they may name it before the, well, maybe not they, probably next year, they'll wait, but uh, we'll see. Well, but, uh, hopefully think- by February, 2022, which is 18 months from off from now. Yeah. That, uh, this, you know, it'll actually be a going concern again. Oh, I, I think wonder- international sports are in big trouble for the foreseeable short term. Yeah, yeah. I think one way or another, Bruce will will be going full steam ahead by 2022. I'd be surprised. the The bigger concern to me is political. I mean, with the way things are going south between relations between China and the West, that's a like yeah. a, a is a boycott out of the question. Yeah. That was one of the no, it's definitely so, not out of the. Question. It is definitely not out of the question because it's getting ugly. I mean, it's ugly in Hong Kong, and mm-hmm. it's, there's all kinds of issues. So, all right, let's. Uh, Let's not discuss those, though. <laughs> Let's talk about Oilers Prospect, which is kind of more up our alley. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's the cult of hockey, not the cult of politics, eh? Yeah. <laughs> global Who's, global affairs, yes. Anyways. Let's start uh, with... Um, let's start with... Uh, Cooper Marodi, and then we'll go to the goaltenders and we'll finish off with Maximov. Sure. Okay. So, Cooper Marodi... Um, what do you think personally of his chances of being becoming a NHL player who let's say plays four or five seasons in the NHL, you know, four or 500 games, maybe third, second, third line winger. What do you think the chances of that? Would you say, uh, which is the, which is the, yeah. the ceiling I'm saying for Cooper Marodi, but yeah. Okay. Uh, non-zero. I mean, it just depends which which guy is the guy that comes to to play in uh, 2021, and is it the guy that ripped up the AHL as a rookie, averaging 1.1 points per game, very good output for a rookie, and you know kept it up for the whole season, or is it the guy that uh, missed a bunch of time, never really had it together? Um, was battling some physical things and concussions. I think some I think some mental things and I mean concussions kind of both isn't it? Yeah, and, totally. Yeah, and horrible. he, yeah, and so the season was a write-off. But the question, I mean, sometimes those guys never get it back, and other times, you know, they come back. So which guy is it? The Cooper Marody that I saw in 2018-19, I had a pretty reasonable uh, expectation that he had an NHL career in front of him, or at least was going to get a real crack at one. And, you know, he's uh, uh, he's going to have to make it stick on performance. It's not like he's going to get given a chance like he was a first-round draft pick. And it's not like, you know, he's going to have to earn his way in, which he didn't do this past training camp, uh, and uh, uh, find a way to contribute, you know. And, I mean, it's not 
probably not there for his, you know, gifted defensive play. So he's going to have to find a way to, to uh, produce points and, and at least hold his own uh, on the other side of the puck. And it's um, it's a he's a reasonable bet, but I would say one and three. I was know. about to say one and three. I think it's a I think it's a one and three bet. Th- this kind of player, you know, last year I would have said fifty fifty. I think after after that great season 64. where he got one point one. I think he was twenty one years old. This is a, this is a pretty remarkable accomplishment yeah. to do that as a twenty one year old in the AHL rookie AHL player. And he was just flying around the ice. You know, I've often said like the Patrick Kane of the AHL. That's you know at that level, that's kind of his level of dominance. Uh, and I thought, you know, and here's what I liked about his game. He's, you know, uh, Sean Patrick Ryan, who works with us on the prospect rankings, he talks about what he's looking for in players is what he calls NHL translatable skill. Like some, some, some skill that's so good, it's, it is, it's, it's going to get you that NHL, it's going to get the notice of an NHL coach and keep you in the league. It could be skating and it could be something or shot. But with, with Marodi, the thing that I really like and the thing I think he has is he has an ability to take and make passes that is really at a high level. Mm-hmm. So I think he could combine on the wing, you know, uh, like he could be the Willie Lindstrom to Anderson and Messier for a couple of years. He could be that guy who's the third guy, third wheel on a really good line and finds just mm-hmm. a way to, to fit in, to be the glue guy on that line and move the puck to the better players, play some defense, chip in, you know, maybe get... 30, 40 points. Like, all kinds of guys have made a career now doing this with Sidney Crosby, right? Like Brian Rust and... Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a, a number of them. They're college players, smart college hockey players who for a couple of years figure out how to play with Crosby. And they do really well. So, I, and in a salary cap era where you need guys making a lot less money, yeah. Cooper that opens up the door for Cooper Marodi as well in that role. Yeah, well, I mean, last year... I thought the the guy Cooper Marodi had to beat out and ultimately didn't was uh, Sam Gagne, and even though yeah. Gagne had the NHL contract and the big bucks, you know they could have buried a like amount of his, in fact, a bit more of Gagne's contract in the minors than it would have cost him to pay Marodi to replace him. Uh, but he just didn't get it done, and I mean he had these physical issues, as you say. But in camp, he just never really stood out. And Gagne's crafty veteranness shone through, and he won the day, and he won the opportunity, you know. But um, uh, he, you know, that was the thing. There were so many layers of competition at training camp last year that the guys like Marodi and Benson, uh, Bouchard, they had to battle through and basically outperform two or three guys that were, uh, you know, mid-career proven pros, and none of them really did it. So it, it uh, and none of those guys, none of those three guys wound up on the team other than Benson got a few games. And it was uh, uh, for Marodi to, to make the team this year, he's going to have to out, outplay players of that ilk. Not, you know, obviously not Sam Gagne himself, but not somebody with 800 games, but some veteran that's been around knows the ropes. And Marodi's going to have to just come in here and say, I'm better than that guy and I'm going to prove it. It's a tough job. You got to be, yeah. you got to be ready for it. You got to be steal yourself to it, and mm-hmm. and you know, you kind of wonder if he's if he's going to do that. But I liked what he said. He talked to Bob Stoffer on Owners Now, I, in I and, he, and he, there was one quote that just hit me over the head. He said, "Quote: 
I'm just so motivated more than ever to be a longtime NHL player and prove myself. And I just really liked his his uh, guts and his ambition for stating it so boldly like that. I think that's a big part in succeeding is going for it and making it known you're going for it and telling everyone you're going for it and then doing it. Uh, he's 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 all in right now. And I wonder if he'll be in the camp. I wonder if he'll be one of the, the 30 uh, skaters. Right. Um, he'll have that. I think cuffs. he might be. And uh, that would be a good, ex- that would be good for him, like to be around that and to, to get involved in that. So I know some people were questioning whether he was showing more a devotion to his, uh, to his singing career than his hockey career, but I'm not sure how well founded any of that stuff was that, you know, he did, he did a couple yeah. things down there in Nashville in the off season. Does that mean that he forgot about lifting weights? I don't think so. But you know, anyway, he's uh, he does have uh, he does have options in life. I guess he's quite a quite a gifted musician. I know he did a, a very a fine and emotional tribute to uh, Colby Cave uh, Agape that uh, was a, uh, um, a a quite a quite a uh, a moment. Yeah. Just oh, sorry, I was just distracted, there, Bruce. I was just seeing if there's any more updates on the CBA. It's been five minutes. It must be something. It it has. <laughs> you know, it's interesting from the CBA, like in terms of changes to the contracts, they just seem very minimal in terms of the extension. It's just like let's just can, let's just figure out how we're going to split the money and continue on with everything else, and we'll not worry about it for four more years. Someone suggested this is Batman Swang song that he wanted Labor Peace and, and I think that's oh, a pretty good. Apt. About time he did. <laughs> <laughs> Three lockouts later. I know yeah, it's only four years, eh? Like it was because we were already extended to twenty twenty two because neither yeah. side exercised their option to pull the plug. So the basically extension is I mean it seems like six years from now, but it's four in addition to the two. So anyway, that's uh a short one. The other ones were all eight, ten years. The previous ones. I guess uh, Chicago's getting Brent Seabrook and Calvin DeHaan back for the playoffs, possibly. So uh, that's interesting. I don't know. Seabrook. Okay. Yeah, Seabrook. All right, uh, Bruce. The goalies. Uh, mm-hmm. Kurt wrote about Skinner, who had you know uh, talking to some fans down in Bakersfield, and from what I saw, man, Skinner had a really, really tough year in Bakersfield, and and. One of the big differences in the team was the quality of the goaltending between Starrett mm-hmm. the year previous and Skinner this year, and Skinner was just just not consistent. Some really good games followed by a lot of not good games. So as uh, he, I think Skinner was was he twelfth on our prospect list, and then twelfth, um, yeah, yeah, Marodi was eleventh, and then Rod, then uh, Kirill Maximov is tenth, and Olivier Rodrigue is ninth. So you're writing about. Right. Rodrigue Bruce. Rodrigue, yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think of him? Uh, well, we've now got him. We've shot him up to the top of our uh, goal, uh, goalie rankings uh, as number nine. Uh, so, as you say, Skinner was 12, Konovalov, Ilya Konovalov, 17, Dylan Wells, 26. And those represent draft choices by the Oilers in each of the last four drafts Wells, 2016, Skinner, 2017. Uh, Rodrigue 2018, Konovalov 2019, and he was a little bit older when they drafted him, so he was already a pro. Well, of those guys, uh, uh, they all played, arguably they played at the same level this year as last year. Uh, both Skinner and Wells split time between the ECHL and the AHL. Skinner, he went from 
41 games in the AHL to 41 in the or in the ECHL to 41 in the AHL. So he really did move up a class. And he did raise his save percentage a little bit in the AHL from the year before, but still not very impressive at 892. Uh, I, I think the verbal on him is better than the numbers on him. And verbal, I mean, it, it only goes so far, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you got to stop pucks. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, I think there was, there was a lot breaking down in Bakersfield in front of the blue paint. It wasn't all on the goalies. And maybe it was a case that the previous year that Starrett had gotten so hot that he'd maybe hidden some of the issues that the team had. But they had no hot goalie in, uh, in 1920. Whereas Rodrigue, he's the one guy out of all of them, that really raised his game uh, this past season. Uh, he went from a, a 902 save percentage in his draft plus one year to 918 this year. And uh, he racked up over 30 wins in the QHQJHML, uh, QMJHL, that's it. It's got too many, it's too big an acronym. Uh, he, 33 years in a row, he's got over 30 wins for what that's worth. But, I mean, he, what it means, he's played on strong teams and he's been number one goalie on those teams. This year, he only lost uh, eight games all year, 131. And he got hot, 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 hot down the stretch. In his last, in February and March, he played 12 games and only gave in 17 goals. So, you know, it's a spectacularly low uh number of goals to allow, especially, you know, any junior league. I mean, the Q is uh, uh, not particularly noted for its uh, its uh, stranglehold defensive play. But, uh, uh, again, how much of it Bruce, was you were, team? Mm-hmm. I just want to, my end, you were fading in and out. Oh, yeah? So I don't know if that's going to be picked up in the recording. Okay, Nothing you're sorry. doing. It's just lost connection. No, no, it's not. Just, just in case, <laughs> if leaders are, if leaders are, if read, listeners, readers, listen. If listeners oh. are hearing what I'm hearing, you, you kind of faded out. But the okay, gist of sorry. it was that of all those goalies, Rodriguez's save percentage shot up quite a bit this year, and Skinner's and Wells didn't. Correct? Yeah, he shot. Yeah, Skinner, Skinner's went up a little bit in the AHL level, but uh, uh, it's hard to compare because he, you know, he only played six games in that league the year before. Uh, so Skinner jumped a uh, uh, jumped a league. Uh, Rodriguez just in his last year, and especially his last two months of junior, he was dominant. And, you know, he was on the Team Canada uh, World Junior, but he was the number three, so I never saw any ice. But uh, uh, he had one little slump just before he went off to that tournament, and otherwise he was rock solid. I think he had four shutouts in his, in February and March. Uh, He's a smaller goalie, though, right? Yes. Like 6'1", like 6 feet? 6'2", uh, I think. Because Skinner's a big Halkin guy. He's yeah. like 6'4", 200 is... Five, yeah. yeah, yeah. The other guy, the other three guys are none of them's huge. Konovalov six zero. I know that because I just wrote about him a, a while I mean, back. And Skinner, I mean, he's there's still time. Like it takes goalie, it can take goalies a while, and they can suddenly catch fire and become. It's not unheard yes. of. Like he he could easily oh, yeah. have a big year where he has like a nine twenty save percentage in the mm-hmm. HL, and he's like, oh man, he's he's going to be the Oilers' mm-hmm. backup goalie. So Stuart Skinner's got lots of hockey ahead of him, and hopefully with the Edmonton Oilers and. I, he'll probably be their starting goalie again this year. Maybe I've heard Bob Stoffer talk about them bringing in an AHL, NHL tweener to help out there. And maybe Rodrigue then would be the, their Wichita goalie, I guess. They just signed that 
deal with Wichita. Maybe right. he'll get Thanks. most Kinda of the weird. starts in Wichita. Maybe he'll play 50, 60 games in Wichita if they play that many games in Wichita, uh, which is a big question mark. Hey, I talked to uh, Casey Kesselring, who's Michael Kesselring's mm-hmm. father, and he mentioned that he, do- he there is going to be some sort of U.S. college season. They just don't know exactly what it's going to be, but he was quite certain. So because we were wor- we were wondering whether Camp and Kesselring might want to come out of and maybe go pro this year if there's not going to be, but he was pretty certain that there's going to be right. something. Just as an aside, I heard that podcast and I enjoyed it very much. I learned quite a bit about the U.S. Uh, high school prep school college system from Casey Kesselring and I thought you had you you did a pretty good job handling having an actual expert in the second seat that was a real change (laughs) for you you did well (laughs) well it was good to have one expert on the show as as opposed to our usual zero uh (laughs) experts uh the usual, you know, we've we've been going oh for all these years, Bruce. We've been going over, and we finally <laughs> we're batting one for nine hundred here. I think I don't know how many podcasts we've done. It's getting up there. I don't think it's that many. I think it's like four hundred though. We've done. Oh, would be a good number by now because basically, basically we did every game. I think for the last three years. Then we do a post game three years now at least. Yeah, yeah. So since uh, we were doing sort of odd, odds and sort of weekly or bi-weekly for a while there and then we started doing every game post game and yeah. then it's been a hundred years since we started doing that maximov kirill maximov mm. he is number nine on our list mm-hmm. and um man he did not have a great uh mm. hl season to start off you know he, he did uh, sean patrick ryan's a big fan of his he'd been touting him yep. from his play in uh major junior and from sean's post if you read it you don't even have to read it that carefully or closely to notice there's a fairly strong hint of criticism of Jay Woodcroft in Very the post. Strong. Yeah. Mm. And um, whether, you know, whether that's, uh, it's a fair comment based on you sure. have this young player, he's, uh, he's not even getting power play time. That's his specialty. He's got a big shot. Um, you know, but Sean did mention maybe, maybe, uh, the coach is getting a message across to this player, like to make the NHL kid, you're going to have to be a different kind of player and work mm-hmm. on a different aspect of your game. And that should, that's got to be your focus. And I, and I don't think that's probably, that's probably a fair point from the coach. You know, he's looking at this player and he's thinking, yeah, I can see Alex chase on here. And this is a, our friend Joseph on Twitter uh, at Joseph JK made this comment and, you know, as a comparable, and Woodcroft may be seeing the same thing. This is Alex Chase on a, you know, a, a kind of a big, physical, tough uh, winger who can skate a bit, average skater at the NHL level with a big shot. And that you can, he can have a job in the NHL, but he's not. Maybe you know, he's got to become a checker if he's going to have any hope. He's got to become a checker and a hustler. Now, when I watched him play this year, I saw a hustler. I mm-hmm. saw a kid going for it in games and, and working hard on the boards. I didn't see a, a kid having a ton of success yet, but maybe that's right. to come. No, SPR was quite complimentary on his, you know, his work ethic and, uh, you know, just his general being a pain in the butt to play against uh, yeah. uh, stuff. I mean, that's that's super important. And we all know that uh, uh, not every rookie hits the AHL with, the, you know, hits the ice skating, you know, so to speak. I mean, Caleb Jones, how much did he struggle in his first year? And by the end of his ELC, he was in the NHL with a two-year extension. 
And I mean, Maximov was picked, you know, same general area in the in the draft as uh, as Caleb Jones was. And I mean, those guys you typically expect. Well, they're going to have to go back for their last two years of junior, and then they're going to take a most of their ELC. And they, even if it works out, we probably won't know until draft plus five, as was the case with uh, Caleb Jones. Uh, I still have pretty high hopes for Kirill Maximov, even with a you know five goal rookie season. I mean, there was stuff that, uh, as Sean pointed out in that article, that didn't really go his way, and it, it you know it didn't sound like he ever got on a, any kind of a hot streak. You know, uh, sometimes the snipers like him, you know, they'll they'll uh, in two weeks they'll p- pound in seven or eight goals, and then all of a sudden that total is starting to look good, right? Even the, even if they have cold snaps throughout the throughout the season, but obviously that never happened for him. To me, I've seen him in a few of these rookie camps and you know development camps, and he looks like a sniper, like he has got a great release and and an excellent shot. So you know, I think he's got a, a good chance of being the next Alish Kotalik. There's a nice comparison. Here's another <laughs> one, Bruce. Tyler Pitlick. So okay. in Tyler Pitlick's first year in the AHL, he's 62 games, 23 points. His second yep. year, 44 games, 10 points. His third year, 39 games, 22 points. So by his third year, he's kind of mm-hmm. getting it together as a second line uh, AHL winger. And he, and he gets some NHL games that year. And, that and he's kind of back and forth. And he's been in the NHL uh, the last four seasons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that uh, that could be the path for Kirill Maximov. And I'm still, I, I, I Sean's really high on this player. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's been very enthusiastic about him. Yeah. Every, when I've seen him, it's looked good to me. So I don't, I don't have anything to say against him. And so good luck to him. I just, he, I, it would be, he may have a chance to play on a, on a first or second line this year in uh Bakersfield. I mean, just think if he gets a chance to play with Marodi and Benson, say, or uh, like now is Raphael Lavoie a right shot as well? Yes, he uh, is. Okay, so there's going to be and he's, he's a have shooter as well. He won't be on the shooter, line, right? I don't this think. is going to be real competition. But mm-hmm. if those two guys could easily be their first and second line wingers yes. this year, and uh, there should be lots of opportunity for both of them. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, and. Hey, competition's great. Like from an Oiler fan's perspective, I'm glad we've got a couple real NHL prospects uh, in the you know in our top ten and in Bakersfield this coming season, and we'll see what see what both of them can do. I mean, Lavoie is going to have the same challenge that Maximov had last year. It's jump from major junior to pro, playing Mm -hmm. against like all of the most hopeful, almost all the most hopeful and talented NHL prospects in the HL. It's a very very good hockey league. And uh, we'll see, we'll see how they do this coming year. Yeah, well, it's funny this year. Like the the uh, um, last year, uh, Sean, the Oil Knight, wrote our four prospect reviews of the four OHL players that the Oilers had in their system. Yeah. And this year, four out of four of those guys all jumped from the OHL to Bakersfield. In in Maximov, McLeod, who often played together, and uh, uh, also. Um, Sam Orkov and Bouchard, the two defenders. Yeah. And, of course, all four of those guys are in our top ten, and Sean has graciously agreed to, because he continued to follow their careers with interest this year in Bakersfield. Of course, yeah. you could see all four guys by watching one game, which is really, really useful. 
So he will be uh, providing uh, detailed updates on those other three guys in the in the days to come as well. We won't tell you who's ranked first, but we will tell you that those other three names I just mentioned are all ahead of Kirill Maximov, who's the lowest of the four at 10, top 10 in the team. So yeah. that's been a big pipeline, that, uh, that especially that 2017 draft was, uh, yeah. was important. Maximov. 53 games, 13 points, and five goals. So, yeah, not uh, not a hugely, you know, not not what he would have hoped, the player would have hoped, that's for sure, mm-hmm. coming into that. But he's only 20 in a league where, uh, let's see what he does when he's 21. Let's see what he finding does when he's 22. And then finding we'll his way, yeah. Yeah, then we'll know. Yeah, if he can find his way under the left circle on the power play, you never know. The goals, that goal's total could really take a bump. And on the other hand, if he's just playing a regular shift, you know, if he improves to, to 15 or 18 or 20 goals, that's a big step, right? He just can't afford to have another year with five. I wonder if Josh Curry comes back or not. That'll be interesting to see because he, he might play ahead of uh, one of Lavoie or Maximov. But uh, mm-hmm. see how that goes. Well, Bruce, let's, uh, I think that covers the ground we were hoping to cover tonight. So want to leave it there. Any other thoughts? Um, nothing that comes quickly to mind. I'm sure we'll have another podcast where we can catch up on, on whatever happens next. You know, probably we'll hang up on this call and find out that some important thing's been announced, but at least things are being announced now after all those weeks and months of radio silence. It's getting serious now. I mean, almost everyone is back at the Oilers camp. I don't know if the Swedish players are, are in yet or not, but, um, uh, other than that, the, like, everyone's there. The big three, I, I think of these guys as the core players, right? They're wrong, right? Uh, obviously, rightly, with McDavid and Drysdale. But I put Nurse in that sort of inner core yeah. of three guys. And I, I'll never forget the 2015 Dev Camp and the 2015 Rookie Camp when all three of those guys were there. And you could, you could see the team sort of renewing before our eyes. And to me, they're all, you know, members of that that inner core, and uh, they all came back to camp, I guess, on the same day, and I think that was the day that uh, you might as well put the Oilers logo back out on the ice and on the, the chests of the players, you know, that the, that's the team, our team is back now, and they're, they're now quickly working up towards uh, uh, next Monday's training camp. I'm getting excited, Bruce. This is getting exciting. It's getting real. What did it for me? You know, none of those guys. What it did it for me was I showed that Oilers tweeted a little video of the Nuge, just doing his thing, you know, skating, doing those little, uh, um, those beautiful skating moves, transition skating moves of his. That you know, you see it, and you, you could be a thousand yards away from the guy, and you say, "That's the Nuge," just because of the way the edges work and so on. That was a moment I'm going, "Yeah, yeah, the boys are coming back. The boys are actually coming back." Yeah, well, we're out of limbo, and we're sort of getting into, into uh, getting near the real dance. <laughs> well, uh, this back this past weekend, I was at the rink twice with my daughters. Oh, yeah? uh, my wife organized a four-on-four league, you know, all oh, within Alberta health regulations, and we mm-hmm. were back uh, on the ice. It was fantastic to see the girls Great. out there playing. And this, uh, and on Saturday night, Bruce, I'm back. I'm, oh. I've uh, organized like a little adult pickup hockey league, mm-hmm. um, small co- cohort of people. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really looking forward to getting on the ice myself. 
What's so. your regular defense partner? Or you're going to have a new one. Yeah, she's she's playing too, and uh-huh. um, you know it's just about Excellent. sweating for us. It's just getting out there and sweating, and and it really is. But it's fantastic to 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 play hockey. It's such a great motivator for staying in shape, and it's such a fantastic sport. So hopefully everything goes well in all of these different groups of players. Uh-huh. And uh, I have a, I have a close friend. Uh, um, he used to be the video goal judge for the Oilers years ago, and sort of the. Uh, he was a high school teacher here in town, and then elementary school teacher. He retired, and he went back to Nova Scotia. And he said to me, "I talked to him on Skype the other day, and he said to me, and he's like older than me, probably close to seventy, and he said, you know, these four months without hockey, he said, I'm so far out of shape." Uh, he said, I don't know, because <laughs> he's played hockey like the entire time, right, through his entire adult life, right? It's just how he, how he conditions himself is to play and by playing hockey. Yeah. it. When you haven't played hockey for a while and you play hockey, mm-hmm. it is mind-blowing how hard it is to, like that kind of explosive exercise for someone in their late 50s or 60s or 70s, like, be able to keep doing that is this incredible challenge because you have to be an athlete you have to actually move you got to you know you got to do it you got to go for it and it's not mm-hmm. easy so so my daughter's like yeah i'm just a spectator essentially i you know i keep stats high away from everybody else i just watch it but uh, i'm not really involved in that but uh, you know because you can only be in one cohort and in this one i'm right. i'm definitely right i'm gonna be right on the ice right in the mix of things and Sweet. And we will be, and if anyone's worried, we will be following all of the Alberta health protocols uh, to AT. My wife is an absolute stickler on that, and I'm glad to glad to have that because mm-hmm. um, you, you know you want to keep everybody safe, and everybody I think it can a, be done. Everybody needs a good referee, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Alrighty, thanks, Bruce. Thanks for talking. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.